Good morning. Listen, take your scriptures out. We're going to be in Psalm 39 together this morning. We're going to look to the Word of God. If you're joining us and this is your first time or online, you're checking things out, we are at the end of what's called Book 1 of the Psalms. Book 1 contains Psalm 1 through 41. So this psalm that we'll look at today is, is one of the last psalms in that book one. Next week, we'll start our study of book two. We have uh, been, been reminding one another that the, the theme of book one has been, look, God reigns over the entirety of the world. In fact, if we would look back Psalm 1, we talk about there's two ways to live. He reigns. And then in Psalm 2, it says, why do the nations rage? The, the key word, the key concept here is conflict. Though God reigns over all, yet there is an enemy set against him, opposed to his plan, opposed to his plan to establish Israel, opposed to his plan to establish uh, the capital, Jerusalem, and Opposed to his plan to bring into this world a Messiah, Jesus Christ, by his people, Israel. And so all of Psalm, book 1, chapters 1 through 41, have been saying, look, God completely establishes and established this kingdom, and yet the nations are always trying to stand against it. As we come to the end, we come to the end of this psalm, the last four uh, Verse chapters, if you will, the last four psalms of this book are 38, 39, 40, and 41. All of them are personal laments, and it's David, the individual king, coming before the Lord and saying, look, my enemies stand with, with accusations against me, and in fact, some of them are valid. Yet you will restore me and be faithful. Yet you will help me in the midst of this great trouble. And so uh, we'll look at that and more, but I want to start by reading Psalm 39. We're going to read from verse, verse 1, really uh, down through verse 8. Let's go there together. Father, uh, excuse me, to the choir master, uh, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So long as the wicked are in my presence, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. And my, dis my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And if there's a pinnacle to this psalm, we're sort of, we're sort of uh, mounting the Everest of this psalm, it's verse 7. 
And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. Father, as we come to you today, we, we need your help to see and know and understand your word. You are sovereign. You determine and you measure the depths of the sea in the palm of your hand. You speak and create galaxies. You set boundaries over nations and over our lives. You set up and tear down kingdoms in every generation for purposes that only you know. It's so good for us that we do not know. And so we come, Lord, to trust fully the sovereign king, this good God. And we ask for help. Commit ourselves to you this morning and pray you'd give us illumination, light enough to see your word. You are the one who knows. And you, you are the one who is sovereign over us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. When we're young, I think we think, uh, boy, man, Life is slow and life is long. And we make plans for our life with that in mind. Look ahead and we think there's so many years to come and so many places to go and so many things to see. And there are. The world, this life is full of opportunities. It's full of making and keeping plans. It's full of beautiful realities. And then we get a little bit older. I think in our I kind of jotted down some notes in our 20s. We're, we're happily figuring things out. If you're in your 20s and 30s and you're still figuring things out, join the, join the party. All of us were waiting and trying to figure it out. David was waiting and trying to figure it out in his 20s, I think. In our 30s, we begin kind of hitting on all cylinders a little bit. For the most part, uh, that's a good time. It's beautiful. We can start trusting ourselves, so we have to beware a little bit in our 30s. It's not about us. In our 40s, we have these sandwich years. There's young ones and there's old ones, and we see things from a different perspective, and we're feeling this tension. In our, our 50s, we wake up one day, and we think, what have I become? What happened? Where did it start falling apart? The body, that is, not life, hopefully. But there's new realizations, and I can speak as one because I'm in my 50s. I speak to you. And in our 60s, we wrestle with this whole acceptance thing. Like, this is the way it's going to be. We look around and say, Love it. Uh, I don't know what to do, but here's what I do know. This escalator appears to be continuing up, and I have no choice. Someone spoke to me after the first service, and they're like, hey, what about the 70s and the 80s? And I'm like, I don't know. What to... <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. And they said this. Tell them this. Weaker and more pain, and God is still faithful. And so I told you that, that this is our 70s and our 80s. And if you're in your 70s and your 80s and here, and you want to speak into my heart, I'd love and invite you to come. If you're joining us online, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear your wisdom. But here's what's real. As as we move through this, we realize that life is short. As we look back from later, and I don't want this to be this, you know, we're a multi-generational church. We always have been, and we always will be. We're making room for the little ones. And I do not want the 15 and 20-year-olds in here or viewing this online later to be like, oh, no, not a lecture from the old guy about how short life is. 
Let me turn the channel, right? Thankfully, it's not a lecture from me, and it's not even a lecture from David, but there are beautiful lessons to embrace from David this morning. And so as we start in verse 1, we're going to uh, start it off by saying something saying like, like this, that when afflictions isolate us before the Lord, we're going to stop right there for just a minute. So I want to explain where we got the, the, the phrase. This is, in essence, when we put that first phrase up there, this is what the whole thing's about, the afflictions. And so if last week we were talking about afflictions that come from outside of us, that we are not responsible for, that, that uh, come into our life, this week we're kind of focused on afflictions that we sort of bring on ourselves. We bring some of those on. You say, well, why do you say that? Look at verse 8. Deliver me from all my transgressions. This is a psalm of affliction. God is correcting David, the leader of Israel, for a sin, some sin. Now, we don't know clearly what that sin is, but we know that it's at least part of this affliction. So let me just say two things here. Number one, the general phrase or the general theme of the psalm, afflictions. And for those of us that need it today, we can jot in the, in the margin the afflictions of rebuke for my sin as he is good to me and is calling me back to himself. Look at verse 11. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume him, consume like a moth what is dear to him. And so that's where we get the word affliction. When afflictions, you say, well, what about this isolation thing? Well, Psalm 39 is unique in that it is an individual lament. Many of the Psalms are corporate they, uh, they involve the, the worship of God from a perspective of everyone, of many of us, the congregation. Even some of them say, make his name known to the nations, see Psalm 2. They are, they are to be stated in front of everyone for the benefit of everyone, but this psalm knows nothing of that. This is a psalm where David's life has been painted and painted and painted and painted into a little corner and he's all by himself. And not only is there no one there to help him, it's not corporate, no one else can help him. We have some afflictions like that. There are some burdens that you carry by God's sovereignty in here today and no one can help you with it. In the Newer Testament, we are told to bear one another's burdens, and in the same breath of that passage, we are told to bear our own burden as well. There are some things that you know about, some hurts that you've experienced, some, some heavy stuff that you're carrying with you today, and even if we all knew about it, there's not much we can do. Now, that's not to say that it was secret. David's enemies knew what he was carrying. That's to say that there's nothing we can do. And if you're here today, and sometimes we get really frustrated with the church, why isn't someone here to help me? And there is a sense in which when you're carrying something heavy, the whole church can come around and we can pray for you and we can be with you. And there's also a sense in which God has placed something on your, your heart and in your world and in your, your backpack that we can't know about fully. And yes, we can still pray for you, but for whatever reason, at God's 
bequest, you're going to carry it. That's an individual lament. That's where David is today. There's nobody to help me. Now, the beauty of the individual lament, this isolation factor, as we get cut off, we do not keep our sins secret. Again, the whole of the people around him knew what it was about. We do not turn away from the Lord because when we turn away from the Lord in privacy and secrecy, we often turn to addictions and uh, self-righteousness. We turn to burnout and spiritual depression. We'll look at that next week as we continue in book two. But note this, that afflictions can cut us off from every resource that we need to help us, except one. Because when David was cut off and backed into the corner, he had this beautiful opportunity to say, God, only you can help now. Afflictions can cut you off from from friends who might help. Afflictions can cut you off from from people who who felt like they were in your corner, but they cannot cut you off from the Lord. He is faithful. In fact, I believe God brings afflictions into our life to prove himself to us, to cut us off from every other option and every other resource and show us his goodness. And that's what he's about. He's going to show us his goodness through our affliction. So that's how we come up with this when afflictions isolate us before the Lord. All right? Number one, first concept here as we move through these verses, when we are cut off, or excuse me, when, we, um, uh, when afflictions isolate us before the Lord, it's really wise to remain silent. You see what David does here? Let's just move through verses one and two and three, and then you'll see, um, look at verse one. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. Okay, that you see the word tongue there? Now take a finger and run it down to verse Nine, I am mute. I do not open my mouth. Psalm 39 is a two-stanza song. It's like we've sang one of the songs this morning and we start off both times. I will be quiet. I will be quiet before the Lord. And then both of the stanzas, both of the verses end with, yet I put my hope in the Lord. You see in verses 6 and 7 and 8, verse 7, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? I'm going to hope in you. And we see the same thing in verse uh, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. I know you're going to listen to me. And so here he is using words after he had covenanted with his heart to remain quiet. So it's wise to remain silent. And this two-verse song points it up as we start in silence and end in hope uh, in both stanzas. Um, David commits himself to silence. It's almost as if, you know, in the Old Testament we hear about this, I will perform my vow. You and I might talk about it from this perspective. I've made a New Year's resolution And here's David's resolution. I I can't be speaking now because I haven't processed this yet. I can't be making making off-the-cuff statements because in my past, and here's a little look into David's heart, in my past, I've I've made these off-the-cuff statements about what God's doing, and I sin with my mouth. 
I blame him for what's going on. I, I accuse him. I, I tell my friends I'm in the right. I don't admit what's really going on here. And I'm not sure what God's doing, but when I speak quickly with my mouth, I almost always fail and blame God for something that he didn't do. And so it's as if David's saying, look, I, I've learned from my past. I've learned from the futility of, of making grandiose statements about my innocence and God's guilt. And I got to stop right here before I do this again. So here's my commitment. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Can I just uh, tell you that that commitment is not merely one of a soul or a, 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 uh, a desire, a will that is tired of sinning and hurting others. It's not just that. If we look back at Job chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, you remember Job, all of his troubles. He's been telling God, I'm innocent. If I could just have time in your presence, I would make my case. I would tell you why I'm innocent. And in Job chapter 38, you remember what God says. Where were you? When I set the foundations of the earth. Where were you when I built this place? Did I come to you and ask for wisdom? Listen, my ways are not your ways, Job. You don't know what I'm doing in this situation. You can't know, and you don't know. And Job's response in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. Listen, friends. Our afflictions help us see just how small we are. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer. And then I spoke twice to you, Lord. I will proceed no further than that. And can I just say to you that the silence that I believe David is talking about is this humility of soul. Lamentations 3, uh, Jeremiah's in the same boat. He's been given a lifetime mission. Here's what I want you to do. Announce my goodness to my people. That seems like something that should have a lot of success, doesn't it? And yet, over Jeremiah's lifetime, we have record of just two people who responded and began to trust the Lord and became and trusted in the promises of God as a result of Jeremiah's lifetime of ministry. It's a pretty lonely place. If you felt like you were given an easy job from God that everyone should be down with and you don't do it. And by the way, if that's where you are today, you feel like you've been given a job and you've made no progress, you haven't impacted no lives, you have seen no fruit. Jeremiah, I mean, you can hear it. In Lamentations chapter 3, he says, um, he has made my teeth, he, God, has made. He's done this to me. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I mean, those are some hard words. And can I just tell you, I know joining us online and I know in this room today, there's some people right here next to you 
in the, in the row. And they feel like those words could have been written for them. I've forgotten what happiness even is. So I say my endurance has perished and, and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And so do you, this is the second place now where we've seen other biblical examples where our soul gets bowed down within us. The concept of being quiet before the Lord is not, I'm just done talking. It's not that I'm numb. It's not that I'm paralyzed. It's not that I've given up. It's this beautiful place. I've stopped arguing. I've stopped questioning. I've stopped telling God what I want him to do next. I've stopped demanding that God see that I'm innocent. My soul just comes to this humble place before him where I say, oh God, you know what's going on and I don't know what to do next. This affliction remains and I'm not silent just because I don't want to say words. I'm silent because my soul is wrestled into a place of complete submission before you. I have no answers. I have no answers. Friends, it's not wrong to ask God why. But it is good to stop. We all start with why. We all start with when is this going to be over. We all ask those questions. It's a natural place to start. But here we have Jeremiah in his pain, eating gravel, not knowing, forgetting what happiness is. And the next words he writes The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's the kind of quiet that David's heart was wrestled into. Going to be quiet now. In our Facebook world, it's not very popular to not have something to say. And you may be the kind of person that always leads with words. I believe the reason David had to make this New Year's resolution, this, this vow to the Lord, is because he always led with words. It was a very strange thing for his friends and family to see him quiet and his enemies to see him quiet. As we look through the psalm, I said, I will guard my ways, always aware of what I'm doing, that I may not sin with my tongue, especially aware of what my words I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked in my, are in my presence. Guys, when you struggle as a follower of the Lord, for whatever reason, the enemies show up en masse to see what will happen when you have an affliction. They're going to be listening closely. They're going to be offering advice. This week, Nikki and I were at a funeral in another state, and we heard people offering advice. Some of them seem to not know the Lord because the advice that was offered to the grieving husband in this case is not always great advice. 
And so the enemies come around when the people of the Lord are afflicted. And David did not want to give them an opportunity to accuse. I was mute and silence. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. Does that happen with you? Sometimes you you keep quiet, but your mind doesn't stop. And he continues to think this through, and he's continuing to think, what's going on here? And, and so uh, he, tried to help, he held his peace, and he accomplished that, but his distress, his internal emotions grew worse. Verse 3, my heart became hot within me. There's an anger that was bubbling up and bubbling over in him. As I mused, the fire burned. And that's where we get what we talked about just a moment ago. The word musing is he continually, he was like obsessed because he wanted the answer to the question, why, when, how long? Come on, Lord, you see that I am innocent. And in this case, of course, David did have some guilt. But anyway, he was musing over, he was obsessed over the questions of the why. And so it was so good to him, for him to get to the end of those questions. And so here's the questions I think it's good for you and me to ask in the presence of the Lord. Is my current condition, is this the discipline of the Lord? Is my current affliction, is this the consequence of sin? Is my current condition the result of a lifetime blind spot in my character? And we get painted into this corner and we open the scriptures and we ask these hardest of questions. Lord, teach me. Lord, let this affliction bring me to the end of all of the earthly ways of dealing with life and bring me to trust you. Trust you. Is this affliction that I'm going through right now the result of not guarding my ways before the Lord. And and so it's wise to remain silent. Verse 9 continues to ask that question, and we remain silent until we turn our words to the Lord. You see that? Because when afflictions isolate us before the Lord, number two, we want to let him teach us to pray. This whole psalm is a prayer. Almost, well, many of the psalms are a prayer. There's certainly many of them songs to the Lord. And we see in verse 4, he turns to the Lord. His first words spoken are apparently when he's all by himself and he has had some time and his soul has come to the point where it's accepted the fact, he's accepted the fact that God's in control and now he begins to address the Lord. That's what prayer is. When you and I turn our attention and our words and our hearts to the Lord. Oh Lord, he says, Make me know my end. Okay, so we turn to the Lord for instruction because our days are short. And the first thing we do is we say, teach me. Now listen, that, we could run over that concept really fast and run through the rest of the psalm. But to come to the point where we say, look, Lord, the things that I have been doing are not working. I am no longer going to tell my friends, not at 40 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old, this is just the way I am. 
I'm not telling my spouse, I'm just going to keep doing it the way that I've always done it. I'm not going to continue in those ways and walk in those ways. I'm coming to the point where my soul is so at, at uh, complete quiet before the Lord where I'm beginning to ask him, Lord, okay, it's just you and me. Would you teach me? Would you come and speak into my life? Show me the things that I've been contributing to this. Show me why your hand of rebuke is still on me. You don't have to return from it. You don't have to pull it away from me. I'm not telling you when to end it. I'm just saying if you could just show me why. Show me where I am anxious. That's what Psalm 139 says. Show me where I don't believe your promises. Show me where I am still treating someone in my life the way that I've always treated them just because it's my flesh. Show me where I am guilty. Show me where I am am found wanting in this situation. And we come to verse four. Here's what he's saying. Lord, teach me. Prayer will teach us if we have ears to hear. With Bible open, coming before the Lord. Oh, Lord. Teach me. Make me know. First thing he wants to know is the end of his life. What's my purpose? What, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Now listen, if the king of Israel, who had God, in, in essence, through uh, anointings, show up to him and announce, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be the king. Then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, here's my promise to you. You're going to bear children. Someone from your, your household will always sit on the throne of Israel. God showed up, and yet David is coming. Okay, now, here's the thing. Because of the affliction that I'm dealing with right this minute, could you remind me, Lord? Why am I even here? Listen, affliction has a way of forcing us to review our purpose. Why am I here? Am am I fulfilling the role of dad? Okay. Am I being a good wife or husband? Am I in my singleness honoring the Lord? Did Did I move off track so far? Afflictions force us to review our purpose and make adjustments, especially when those afflictions are as the result or consequence of sin. And so, teach me, Lord, the purpose of my life. Continuing in verse 4, and what is the measure of my days? That is, God allots to each of us days. And we don't have to get hung up on how many. We can't know. But I can tell you that in 2021 and as the 2022 has started, uh, I count the days of kind of each of the funerals that I do. And I did a funeral last year with close to 90,000 days, 80, uh, over 90, excuse me, 30,000 days, sorry, 90,000 days would be crazy. Over 30,000 days, somebody who was in his 90s. This week I did a funeral for someone who lived 16,000 252 days. She died at 44. We have experienced losses of people who live 6,000 days, 16 years old. We have experienced infant loss, and some of you have been impacted by miscarriages this week. Our hearts are heavy. We do not measure our days to be uh, twisted. We do not measure our days to be 
morbid. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, In your book were written every one of them, all of my days, before as yet even one of them came to pass. God knows. And so our awareness of our days is that we have a number of days. It doesn't make us grab for the gusto and live life to some kind of uh, uh, fleshly fullness. It doesn't mean you, you go out and you spend all your money today. It doesn't mean you live for happiness and ease today. It means that every day counts. Every day counts in your being a dad or a, a single person or a worker at your work or a friend. It means that every day counts and that God called us to honor him every one of those days. And that's the essence of what David's getting at. The brevity of our lives means that we, we measure our days. We know that they go fast. Look at verse uh, 4 again. Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what's the measure of my days? And let me know how fleeting I am. They go by so quickly. So yes, 22-year-old friend. Yes, 17-year-old friend. Here is David saying to us, it goes by so quick. David has a very long reign as king. He is king one of two, David and Solomon, in the golden years of Israel. For all of history, we look back and say, look at the length of his days. And here David is saying, it just, it just went so quickly. And affliction has a way of making us see again how quickly our days go. When we're young, we measure our life in miles. And here in verse uh, 6, surely a man goes about as a, a shadow. If you look at verse 5, behold, take a look at this. You've made me measure my days and you measure my days in handbreadths. Three-inch increments. Measure. Three inches. Three inches at a time. Well, I wanted to measure big, long. It's a whisper. Three inches. Afflictions have a way of making us see how quickly our life passes. What we learn about our times in times of affliction that gives us perspective and then we can, we can make statements about all of mankind. So David learned this personally and no one could teach him at all. But when he learned it personally, he applies what he learned personally to all of mankind. He sees all of life in a different way because of the affliction. He knows that it's not just his days that come and go. All people's Wives, come and go. All of us try to measure in miles. All of us are just a few hand breaths. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Verse 6, surely a man goes about as a shadow, and for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And we might say it this way, not only... As, we, as the Lord is instructing us about our life, it's the purpose and the brevity, but also the uncertainties. Because we save all this money, who's going to use it? The Lord knows. It's not wrong to save money. It's wrong to trust money. And so, when afflictions isolate us before the, the Lord, let him teach us to pray. Let us turn to the Lord for instruction because my, our days are so short 
And that's what we've been talking about for these last several minutes. We turn to him. Lord, teach us. Our days are short. Under that heading, the second concept here is that we turn to the Lord for deliverance. We turn to the Lord because he alone can save us. Verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. The beauty of afflictions. We have a little pad of paper and we are looking at our watch and we are looking up to God and saying, okay, okay, I was guilty. It's time for you to restore me. I would like for this trial, this affliction to be over now. And we ask the question, when? And we ask the question, how long? And we have our pad of paper and we get our little huffy attitude before the Lord. And David said, I'm done with all that. Because if there's a time element in our affliction, it is not you waiting for the Lord. It is the Lord waiting for you. And David realizes it. And he says in verse 7, and now, and now. Lord, you're not on the timer anymore. I'm not giving you a scorecard anymore. I'm I'm not asking why anymore. I'm not blaming my parents anymore. I'm through with all that. And now I'm waiting on you. My hope is in you. Listen, that's the statement that the Lord is waiting for you and me to announce and live by under the weight of heavy affliction. And now, my hope is in you. I'm looking to you. I'm asking you to help. Now my soul has learned to turn away from sin. Now my soul has stopped asking when. Now, my, uh, my, now that my affliction has rocked me, I'm, I'm done telling you how to orchestrate my life. Now that my soul is completely humbled in your presence, I'm listening. Now that I see the futility in trying to make my kingdom in this world, I'm done with all that, and now I have turned completely to you in hope. Hope means confidence that God is at work in my future for my good according to his word. Do you have that hope? You say, well, the affliction's still here. And David would say, yeah. My affliction's still here. Didn't go away. It's not like I, the affliction ends and then I learn the lesson. I learned the lesson in the midst of the affliction. Affliction comes to strengthen our grip on God's promises and to loosen our grips on the things of this world, the solutions of this world. And so we turn to the Lord for deliverance. He alone can save us. And the timing is we turn to him and wait. Forgiveness from sin and restoration of right relationship, that is ultimate deliverance. That's what we long for. And as we repent from our sin and trust the Lord, our hope is in him. And verse 8 says, he will be the one who delivers us from the penalty of our sins. And that is all based on Jesus Christ, of course. So as we uh, let him teach us 
to pray, we, we've turned to him for instruction, we've turned to him for deliverance, we turn to him for mercy. That is, the end of the affliction. See that in verses 10 and 11? We turn to him for mercy. Turn to the Lord for mercy. We admit our own sin. We know that he will bring this earthly trial to an end. The reality is some of us are going through afflictions that are for life. There are troubles and pain and grief that God has brought into our world and maybe it involves a death and we would say, listen, there's no, there's no end. And while there may not be end to the affliction, there can be mercy where God draws us close and bears our burden. And God helps us to feel and sense his presence. He will bring the season of discipline to an end and restore us as we repent. And afflictions teach us about God's greatness. How great is he? And so we turn to the Lord for instruction and deliverance and mercy and we turn to the Lord with confidence. See that at the beginning of the psalm? Remember how David starts out? I don't, how, wordless. I don't know what to say. And look at verse 12. Here's something I am reminding myself. Sometimes afflictions come and we are rejuvenated spiritually to trust the Lord by the presence of the affliction, the heaviness of the weight. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace. You come and help me. You see my tears. You brought this trouble and you can end this trouble. And we say often around here that while the affliction remains, it's not sovereign. The Lord's eye is on your heart and his hand is on the, on the timer. And he's going to bring that affliction to an end. Friends, the lessons of the brevity of life are not morbid. Neither are they indulgent. So we don't say, oh, it's weird to talk about these things. They teach us something about the goodness of God. We don't say the end result is you may as well just have fun because life is short. You're on a quick ride. We don't say either of those things. We don't say spend all your money or focus on your own enjoyment. We say every day counts. And how we spend every day in terms of knowing and pursuing Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior is the end. And so I'm going to give you five very quick, rapid-fire application points. If you're prone to take notes, get out your pen. You won't use much ink. We're going to go really quickly through this, okay? Here we go. When God teaches us the lessons of affliction, here's the lessons we embrace along the way. Number one, guard your words. Be careful what you say. You can do a lot of trouble, make a lot of trouble with your words as your kids or your spouse or your own mindset hears the words that come out of your mouth and starts to believe them. Be very careful with what you say, especially in affliction. Number two, learn to pray. The great thing that God wants to do is to teach you to direct your words, not outward, not inward, but upward. He wants to bring your concern to him. He's not going to tell you how long. He's waiting for you to completely submit to him. He's not going to tell you why. Can I just tell you? Stop asking 
Why? He's not going to tell you if you would have done A and B and C back there, it would have turned out differently. Doesn't matter. Here we are under the, the good hand of a sovereign God. Learn to pray. Learn to cry out to him. Number three, waste no time with sin. Don't have a little secret place in your life where nobody knows about it and you're harboring this little sin over here. Listen, life is too short to waste one second on stupidity, on foolishness. Life is too short to make it about you even for a second. And David would say, you know what? I wasted some time on sin and I'm turning right back to the Lord to say, Lord, restore me, forgive me, help me, teach me what you want here. And it's not just sins of like, commission like things that are obvious things you look at at your phone on your phone or the way you spend your money it could be little things like gossip and bitterness and complete discontent with what's going on in the world today and you need to come to this point like hey this is God's world I'm done I am done fretting over this I am broken in the presence of God and I'm saying to him I'm done with that I'm not going to have, you know what, what David says in Psalm 139, the big sin that he wants God to reveal to him at the end of Psalm 139? Teach me if there is any anxious thought in my heart. Struggle with anxiety? We're not here to throw stones. We're here to say that's a sin too. And we're inviting you to trust a sovereign God completely. He is good. Guard your words, learn to pray, waste no time with sin, savor God's gifts, his grace, every moment of our life. If you wake up tomorrow, another gift, another opportunity to walk with him, another opportunity to see him, another opportunity to proclaim him to a friend, another opportunity to trust him. Guard your words, learn to pray, waste no time with sin, savor God's grace. Finally, know your purpose. Know your end. Because your days are so very few and fleeting, don't waste one of them. Invest them all before your Lord faithfully. As we close book one of the Psalms, we've been focusing on the fact that God owns and reigns over the earth. And he invites, he instructs, Israel to come and submit to him. He invites all the nations of the world to joyfully come and submit to him and they will resist. So you're not surprised and I'm not surprised when they continue to resist. We knew that that was going to happen. The theme of book one, Psalm 1 through 41, is the conflict that comes when God reigns and the world doesn't like it. And we are here at the end of the book saying, even though the world doesn't like it, And even though enemies remain, yet he is sovereign, yet he is good, yet his will will be accomplished. And we'll pick up the story next week as we open up a study of book two. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, would you humble our souls? We don't want to just be quiet. We want to be still. We're reminded of the sons of Korah in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And so, Father, as a congregation, even though we learn from this individual lament, 
a burden only David could carry. We are still. And we know you are good. And you alone are God. Help us walk with you this week. And I pray for anyone who is struggling with an affliction that continues to linger. That today would be the day where they come before you and stop accusing you. And maybe elders would be here to pray in the front afterwards. I'll be here to pray that this would be the day that we stop having you on the hot seat and the witness stand. And we say, but now, my hope is in the Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Have a good week.